From Sacramento, the Bishop's Radio Hour with Bob Dunning. Focusing on today's issues in the context of gospel values. Now, here's Bob Dunning on Relevant Radio. That's me. Welcome to you on this beautiful day the Lord has made. Appreciate you all being with us on the Bishop's Radio Hour as we move through the summer and <laughs> things. I, I never know from one day to the next if that sea breeze is going to blow or it's not. But indeed, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And we are pleased to welcome in by phone uh, Mercedes Holcraft, who is the new principal at our beautiful Sacred Heart School right here in downtown Sacramento. Uh, good day to you. Good day to you. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for uh, for joining us. Uh, tell us a, a little bit about uh, Sacred Heart School there on, what, 39th Street? Yes, Sacred Heart is located on 39th and um, the East Sacramento. And right. uh, I'm just getting to know the school, that it's a beautiful school. It's been here for a very long time. Uh, the current building is, hasn't been in its current location for a long time, but the school itself has been around since 1934. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so we are a T- TK through 8th grade school, um, and uh, we have a, a great enrollment, fantastic staff. So it's just exciting to be here. How, uh, what's, what's your enrollment? Uh, our current enrollment is 287 students. And is that up or down or about the same? I believe it stayed pretty much. It has stayed the same for a little while. Like I said, I'm just getting here, but um, it has it has stayed the same for a little while. It's such a beautiful area too, uh, and a beautiful parish, and it's <laughs> it's a lovely part of Sacramento. It is definitely. I'm just getting to know the area, and I keep pinching myself like really i'm here this is amazing <laughs> isn't that great where were you just recently uh, prior to this well i come from the diocese of stockton i was a principal down in modesto for seven years oh wow mm-hmm. what school in modesto thanks stanislaus oh, yes <laughs> everything in modesto is stanislaus isn't it saint stan <laughs> yeah saint stan that's right yeah i i, I remember uh <laughs> I remember uh, I uh, had a speaking engagement to a Catholic group in Modesto one time, and uh, um, they, uh, it was a dinner, and a couple of people were drinking a beer called St. Stan's. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, right. There's a brewery there. Right. A, yeah, a lot of the, the name is around. <laughs> yes, Stanislaus. Well, it's Stanislaus County, isn't it? Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's a great a great part of the Central Valley for sure. It mm-hmm. helps to feed the world. Are you an, a native of Modesto? Uh, well, yeah, I grew up in Modesto. I actually um, came to the United States when I was ten. Oh wow! And um, so I lived in Modesto most of my life. My husband and I did move around a little bit um, to Northern California and then Southern California, but eventually settled back in the Modesto area. Where did you? Um, where did you? Raised our children. Yes. Where, where did you come come from before Mad- I mean, where what country did you come from? Um, I was born in El Salvador. Oh wow! Well. The first ten years of my life. Oh my yeah. goodness! Mm-hmm. What what brought you to the United States? Um, my mother moved here actually when I was three in the seventies. She um, she moved. She came up to California, and uh, just you know, just trying to find something better. We um, were very poor where I grew up, and so she came up and she worked for about seven years before she was able to bring me up um, to California. And so that's what brought me up is my mom making a lot of sacrifices. Wow! And then and then so you went to school in Modesto. 
I did. We when when I first moved up, I, we were living in Novato, uh-huh. um, you know, north of San Francisco. Yeah, Marin and, County. But within months, um, my mother and my stepdad moved out to um, Modesto, and I went through the, all the Modesto schools. Graduated from Modesto High, um, so that's you know that's where I spent most of my life, um, and wow. that's where I. You know, have a lot of, that's where my family was and um, many of my friends. Yeah. And Modesto has changed a lot over the years, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. I still remember when we first moved out there, we were uh, near what they were, the Vintage Fair Mall area is, and all around there it was all just fields, and now there's just so much growth, and all the small towns around Modesto have grown tremendously. So it's, it's interesting. I'm, I remember you know, year, years ago I was a sports writer, and uh, had to cover games at Stanislaus State in Turlock, oh, and, yeah. and uh, uh, it's it's become a big city now. It was a little town then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Turlock is a really nice nice college town. It really is. So, so where did you go off to college? Um, I actually went to uh, Stan State. So that's oh, you went to Stan I, State. Oh, good. Yeah. I did. Yeah, that's where I got my teaching credential, and um, yeah, so uh, you know, lots of stuff happening there. We did. My husband and I did live in Chico for a couple of years mm-hmm. and lived down in Southern California for a couple of years. But like I said, most of the time, most of what we've done, our adult life has been in uh, Modesto. Well, you kind of like those college towns, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do. They seem to have some very cool things around, you know, yeah. coffee shops and farmer's markets and all those very cool things. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> I grew up in Davis, another college town, you know, and it's, yeah. just, it's just the same way. You're right, fa- farmer's markets and... A lot of lot of ag all around. So then you you taught in uh, Modesto schools. I did. I was actually um, when I got my credential, I taught in public schools, um, and then took a break, and I was a director of religious education at Saint Stanislaus, mm-hmm. um, and then left there to go back to teaching before I eventually got my master's in administration and ended up at the Catholic school. It was is that Central Catholic or is that a, a different? No, one? at Saint Stanislaus. Oh, yeah. Saint Stan's. Okay, yeah. Yes. Wow. And so, what brought you to Sacramento? Well, um, we have been coming up quite a bit. We actually, my children, my son, first moved up to Sacramento a few years back, and then three others of my children followed after that. Mm-hmm. So now four of my kids live in the Sacramento area, and I have three beautiful, sweet little granddaughters. And so, you know, my husband and I had already started thinking about making our way up into uh-huh. this area. And then the opportunity presented itself to, um, you know, be principal at Sacred Heart, and I couldn't pass it up. And so the Lord led me right here. Um, so that's how we, we ended up. We've only been here about a month now, so just getting to know the area. Oh, wow. Wow. You know, little different surroundings. Well, those grandchildren will do it to you every time. I know. That's what I was told. And I thought, really? But then, you know, I fell for it, too. <laughs> <laughs> My mother used to have, uh, well, she always had uh, a sign over her piano uh, in the living room that said, uh, grandchildren are God's gift for getting older. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. It's a beautiful thing. Definitely yeah. enjoying this part of my life. Yeah, it's they're 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 wonderful. They're very very wonderful. They are they are great gifts from God, no question. Yes. So, yeah. th- so, have you been a principal before? Yes, 
I was a principal at uh, St. Stanislaus for seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it was a great blessing to be there. I was fortunate to have uh, wonderful mentors, um, the previous principal before then, the superintendent of the diocese of Stockton, the other principals that I worked with in that diocese. Um, just had a lot of support and learned so much in those seven years. So, um, it, you know, it's just been a great transition to come here, and I, I can already see that there's a tremendous support system in this diocese as well. So um, it's, you know, I really have to say I feel like the Lord opened these doors and really blessed um, this move and, um, and this choice for me. So uh, it's been a very, very positive and life-giving uh, choice to become a principal. And I love Catholic education. I love what it, you know, what it's intended to do. I love the way that it supports families. I love the way that it nurtures faith. So, um, you know, I'm here to stay. I'm here to continue to do this work for as long as the Lord will allow. Well, I can tell you, uh, Bishop Soto is, uh, as you know, just he's just huge on Catholic education and uh, mm-hmm. talks about it all the time. And, and I know Bishop Cotta in, in Stockton, who was here in Sacramento as an auxiliary, is very big on it, and, and Bishop Blair prior to him uh, in Stockton. So you've been in good hands. Yes, and it makes a very big difference when you have, you know, uh, the leadership of the church that is supportive and understands the worth of Catholic education, what a difference it makes in a community, um, and just long-term when we're, you know, raising uh, children who are going to continue to be part of the church and leaders in the church. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, Bishop Cotta was, it was such a joy to work with him, and uh, from the moment he stepped in, he felt a tremendous amount of support and um, and just enthusiasm for the Catholic schools, and uh, I, you know, I've I'm excited to get to know Bishop Soto and what, uh, you know, and listen to him and, and what he has to say about Catholic education and just our faith in general in this diocese. But, uh, but yeah, it makes a tremendous difference to have that kind of support. So do, do all Catholic schools now uh, have TK? No, not all of them. Mm-hmm. But it's become, it's become more and more necessary, hasn't it? Yes, I you know I think it definitely prepares uh, students to step into the demands of kindergarten. Kindergarten, you know, years and years ago, did not ask of children what <laughs> what we are asking of them now, and in some ways that's a great thing. Um, but yeah, I think TK is a great transition um, for them to prepare them for you know what what we have as as they get older, not just from an academic perspective, but socially as well, and. Um, you know, just creating those opportunities for them to learn to communicate and, and, um, and you know, work with each other. So I do love the idea of a TK. I didn't have it at the school that I was previously, but um, already I can see, you know, what a great part of the, the school here, the school culture, you know, it, it is in Sacred Heart. So you're very, very near uh, first day of school. Uh, yes. what What are your challenges as a new principal uh, in getting ready for the first day of school at a brand-new school? Well, I think most of it is just getting to know the community, what's already in place, and what needs to be prepared. Um, I can tell you I've stepped into a really amazing school community already. The teachers have been so supportive and so helpful, but, but that's a big challenge, I think, when you're stepping away from a school and you have to close all of that down and transfer it to the new principal and then get a new school, you know, get a new year going for another school. 
um, that poses a lot of challenges with schedules and calendaring and making contacts and, and you know, getting to know the community. Um, but so far, it's been really um, a nice transition. I've had um, plenty of not just the staff, but even parents, the parish community, our pastor, Father Mark. It's just been incredibly helpful um, in making this transition because it is a lot. It's a lot to take in from the not just from the, the local school, the you know, at Sacred Heart, but also from the diocesan level and you know the, the expectations of, um, at that. Uh, level as well. Curriculum-wise, is is there any difference between what would go on here in Sacramento or, or the Diocese of Stockton? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we use, you know, different schools use different curriculums. I know in Stockton we, we would share um, and work together to come up with the curriculum that we were going to implement. I, it's, you know, similar up here. Um, so there's some new curriculum that I'm going to have to learn and get to know that we weren't using previously. Um, you know, but the idea is the same, the way that we implement curriculum, the way that we research curriculum to make sure that it's a good fit for, you know, not only for our academic needs, but also that, um, it, you know, it goes along with what we're trying to teach our kids. Um, obviously, the course of the curriculum is math, English, those are, are fairly straightforward, but also how do we integrate into the you know, the faith-based curriculum, you know, here in, in Sacramento, we do the Education and Virtue, which is, a, I think, a really wonderful um, supplemental support that we have for um, for just virtue-based education for the kids. So there's, you're always going to find a little bit different because there's so many different publishers and so many different curriculums for all the different subject matters. But, but again, I think we end up with the same result because we, we go through the same process of researching and implementing from school to school and from diocese to diocese. Um, and a lot of the dioceses share, you know, that oftentimes when you sit down and you work collaboratively at the diocesan level, you find that we're always looking at, well, what is the diocese of Los Angeles doing and what's San Francisco doing and what's Sacramento doing? And mm -hmm. kind of doing a lot of comparison and, and looking at what other people have already used and what's worked. And, um, you know, there's no reason to, to start from scratch when someone else has already done the work and, and done it successfully. So do you have an opportunity to get together with your fellow principals? Yes, and that's really uh, one of my favorite things. Um, you know, here in, in, uh, in this diocese, there's, we have our all-principal meetings. They've, all, they've also established, you know, meetings for us, those of us who are new principals, which this year there's four of us in the diocese. Um, and then they also put together uh, what they call clusters. So. Um, because there are so many schools in the diocese, then, then they, they'll put like seven schools together and these and the cluster of principals will also gather at a separate time. And the whole point is to support each other, to collaborate. Um, you know, and it, it, for me, it's such a gift to remember that I'm not doing this alone and that we can, you know, help each other out and, and uh, rely on each other when maybe sometimes we don't have the answer or... Um, we need a kind of new way of doing something, um, but really, it's been a, a um, one of my favorite things to find out is, is um, how often we get to collaborate with each other as principals. Oh, that's wonderful! So, as as you look to the to the new school year, uh, you you. I, I just I, I look I look at elementary schools and I go, you're TK all the way through eighth grade. 
it's such yeah. it's so diverse just age wise. Mm-hmm. I just think that's such a huge challenge. Yes. Yes. But you know, we one of the uh things that's really beautiful about having those you know, the the diversity of age and, and just the, the you know, from T K all the way to eight is we do a lot of things where the students work together so, and we have like, you know, buddies where the seventh graders are buddies with the you know, TK mm-hmm. students, and um, and that does a lot for not only for allowing the younger students to have examples in the older students, but also keeping the older students accountable and um, and and young too. Like they can still you know play and they can um, be with their buddies and teach their buddies and learn from their buddies. And so I think while yes, the kids go through so much. I mean. You know, you see them come in in kindergarten, and then, you know, when they're coming into middle school, it's, it happens so fast, and they change so much, and they grow so much. But I think being able to have them together and continue to, you know, nurture kind of that family mentality of how the older kids take care of the younger kids is really beneficial for their growth and development. Yeah, so... Talk talk a little bit about, about I know you're new, but uh, talk a little bit about your faculty there. Um, well, I have started to meet with them. I've had the opportunity to spend, you know, time with them and uh, definitely have been impressed with their level of knowledge um, and their commitment. Uh, you know, one of the things that I've, I've been meeting with them and asking them, you know, what kind of responsibilities they have, they have at the school, it's just really admirable that how much they're willing to take on things in addition to their tasks in the classroom and planning lessons and taking care of their own kids. Um, but they take on these additional tasks just for the sake of making sure that this is a positive and life-giving environment, whether it's, you know, planning liturgy or, um, you know, doing uh, student council, um, helping with retreats, whatever it is, you know, the, the working with the, the instructional aides there. This staff has really impressed me in how... Um, willing they've done that and you can already tell how bonded they are with each other so coming in as an outsider i know it's going to take a little time to get to know them it's going to take them a little time to get to know me but it is a gift to see that they are already so connected with each other that they work so well together um that they complement each other's gifts and talents um and you know as professionals many of them have gone through uh, very similar programs, credential programs. A lot of them have gone through USF to get their credential, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, and they started here as instructional assistants. You know, completed their credential programming, and then returned as teachers. So they they really just uh, have a strong um, connection to the community, and um, and really believe in the mission of the school. So. Uh, I can't wait to see what they're going to do. It's really one of my favorite things is supporting teachers and seeing how they develop. And, and this group of teachers has already um, just impressed me very deeply and um, already making their way into my heart. So it's, it's a gift. Well, that school is moving up darn near on its uh, 100th anniversary, isn't it? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So that's just amazing. That's, yeah. Yeah, so... so Looking back on your years in in education and Catholic education, uh, how have things changed from, say, when you first started to now? 
Well, um, it goes without saying that, you know, while I don't like to talk too much about this, but COVID certainly um, challenged our schools in a way that we never expected it to. Right. And I, I think that, you know, when I first started as a uh, principal at St. Stanislaus, there seemed to be a little bit more isolation and, um, you know, maybe not uh, the collaborative mindset, at least where I was. Um, and the challenges with, you know, what families were, were faced with and what we had to support them uh, as the, you know, primary educators or the things that, that students came in with uh, were not the same as when after COVID happened, where now we seem to see a little bit more um you know, students who have a little bit more anxiety and are struggling with some fears that weren't there before. Um, and, and, you know, families that spend so much time in isolation needing to come back and, and relearn how to, you know, work together. And so I think that was, that's kind of a big thing that I've seen is that, you know, the, there's this, um, the, the words right now that are being passed on in the education world is the social emotional learn uh, social emotional mm-hmm. learning for kids. Really, the Catholic Church, you know, that's been a part of how we educate kids um, because we, you know, we look at the whole child. We look at you know right. healthy minds, healthy bodies, healthy souls, and so it's not something new. It's just new words to things that we we've, we've known how to do. But I think there is a greater need for it now. Um, because, you know, there's the influence of the world and how it has seeped into our families and into our children is is greater. Um, you know, we are facing things like that increased anxiety. We're facing things with gender issues um, that, you know, are coming into the school with, you know, these bigger questions and these challenges that the students, the, the exposure to social media, I mean, right. the, you know, what social media has, has done in just the, the last few years is astounding, and I don't even think we've begun to see the effects of it um, yet. But but we're definitely, you know, um, seeing, you know, on a day-to-day, like how, how children are kind of trying to make their way um, through all of those things that are influencing them. And I tell parents all the time, wait as long as possible to allow them to, to be on social media because, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's been one of the biggest uh, factors in how quickly children are growing up and how much they're being exposed to things of the world that don't necessarily uh, are, you know, they're not necessarily in, um, in uh, what's the word, in, in agreement with what we're trying to teach them morally mm-hmm. and what, you know, the church is trying to um, teach and, and support the family to, to, um, to teach our kids as well. So looking back, obviously you're new here, but looking back to your experience with COVID uh, at St. At Stan's, how we, we hear a lot about a, a, a education gap that kids really lost a lot during that time. Did, was that your experience or not? You know, I... I could not believe I'm so proud of the way that Catholic schools responded to that because mm-hmm. we were in session so much, you know, so much more quickly than other schools were. Right. Um, I see some of that gap, you know, because sometimes, it, you know, it did take some kids a little bit longer to come back in those transitional times. 
So really, as as um, as a church, as Catholic schools, we um, came together. We came up with solutions very quickly. I still remember going, um, you know, notifying my teachers that we were going to um, probably not come back the next day, and that was on a Friday. And then on we took Monday and Tuesday to prepare, and then by the middle of the week, we were already online. Wow. And then, yeah. you know, by the by the beginning of the next year, we were in person. So I don't see that as much in our um, students. Um, but I think that we, you know, if I may say, I think as a, as a Catholic school um, community, we really did an amazing job of making sure that, uh, that we had things in place um, so that students didn't, so that our students didn't miss out. Yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting to me because the we followed all the rules, and I'm, I'm speaking I know obviously more about Sacramento than than Stockton, and I know they followed all the rules too. You're dealing mm-hmm. with different counties which had different rules. Uh, you're dealing with state government. You're dealing with the federal government, and also the the local county health departments, and and they had different rules because there were different circumstances, and and you had the same thing in in the diocese of Stockton, obviously. And, and yet um, they creatively figured out not how to get around the rules, but how to deal with the rules and still educate the kids. And I think they really, I think the Catholic schools became a real model for, for everybody else. Uh, and I, I never, I'll never put down the public schools. You know, they, they do their best, and uh, they uh, certainly are educating a lot of Catholic kids uh, as well. But um, the, the Catholic schools were, I guess, much more nimble and creative in getting back into the classroom, which I think everybody agrees is, is the very best thing. Yes. Yeah, and I, I could not agree with you more. I think that, you know, they say the Catholic world is a small world, and we're always encountering each other in different places and different times. Right. But it really became really a small world. I, I was impressed at how the different dioceses came together um, to collaborate on getting guidelines in place and, and, and you know, sharing resources. Because it wasn't just the Catholic schools. You know, we, we came up with these guidelines in uh, together as one unit from the different dioceses, but then we had to implement them and rely on the community to provide all of the things that we needed to, to be able to have the kids and still follow those guidelines, um, you know, whether it was monetary resources or, you know, uh, just adjusting our facilities in a way that um, that allowed us to have kids in the in the building. Um, it was just it, it, it was a beautiful thing to see how the whole community came together at the different parishes and the different schools and the different dioceses. Um, and yes, you're absolutely correct. I mean, I you know I was a public school teacher, and I know the public schools did their very best. Um, but uh, I really you know just so so impressed with the work that that um, that was able to be done from the top, you know, from our superintendents down to the principals, down to the teachers, parents, students. It was really um, some beautiful work. Yeah, you know, that's so well said. And, you know, I know here in, in Sacramento and, and uh, in a number of places in the country, uh, Catholic school enrollment went up partly because they were, you know, they were open for business and and a lot of parents really wanted that. I know we, our across the street neighbor had little kids and and just just itching to get back into school. And they had been in uh, public schools that were still closed and ended up going to to St. James in my hometown of Davis and and loved it. 
and said, mm-hmm. wow, we're going to, even though their former school is now now open, they decided that they really liked the Catholic education, which in many cases was something they hadn't really considered before. Yeah. Yeah, no, we saw that happen a lot. You know, many of the schools are, um, you know, families that had didn't think that, uh, didn't think about it before, didn't consider it, um, came in and, you know, gave these schools a try. And, you know, we had to get creative, too, about finding um, support, financial support for some of these families that maybe couldn't sure. pay the tuition. But I always say there's, you know, there's always people out there who are wanting to be generous and finding ways to, to give, and we just have to find those generous people that will make that possible for families who, you know, couldn't get into the schools for those reasons. Sure. I'm presuming your opening day is August 15th? That is correct. We are Feast of the Assumption? Say that again? The Feast of the Assumption. The Feast of the Assumption. We're going to have a 9 a.m. Mass to start the year. Um, in fact, today I sent out a novena to our, um, to our staff. Oh, We've very good. Praying a novena for the next nine days so that we can start the year off on the right foot and um, you know make sure that the Lord is blessing all of our efforts and uh, pouring out His graces upon us because it's um, a lot of great work that we plan to do and we can't do it without. Um, no. <laughs> I, I, I'm always amused by uh, the novena, you know, and I remember explaining to one of my kids one time, like, you're starting the novena on the 7th of, mm-hmm. of August, and it's running through the 15th, and, and uh, 7 from 15 is 8, and yet mm. that's 9 days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good math uh, brain teaser yeah. for maybe a 4th or 5th grader. Yeah, yeah. It works for the younger ones because, you know, they count on. Yeah, they count on their fingers, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, it really really does. And and novenas are such uh, powerful and wonderful tools to have. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Well, Mercedes Holcroft, it is so great to talk to you. Uh, Blessings to to you and all all your staff and all the kids and parents and uh, other other contributors there at uh, Sacred Heart School, and we just wish the best for you as the as the year progresses. And please keep us in mind if if something if you're having a parish festival, I mean a school carnival or a, a play, or some students doing something that you think needs some attention, give us a shout. We'd love to get them on the air. Absolutely, I will definitely do that. And then just remind everyone to keep. Catholic schools and their prayers, and, yes. you know, we definitely need them, and, you know, we're, we're trying to um, just be a support to families and, and help them to do the, the work that, you know, that they need to do and, and um, what they've been called to as parents. So please keep us in your prayer. Absolutely, we will. Thanks so much, Mercedes. Take care. All right, thank yeah, you. Yeah, God bless. Right. That is uh, uh, Mercedes Holcroft, who is the new, this Holcroft, who is the new uh, principal at Sacred Heart School. And uh, just uh, wish them the best and say special prayers for them. What a, what a great way to start school year with a novena. Uh, we had a chance to sit down with uh, Deacon Greg McAvoy Jensen uh, to do the first of four parts of uh, the, our series on the Mass, uh, the various parts of the Mass, uh, all, the, you know, all the details, if you will, uh, what's going on during Mass. And it's been very instructive, I hope, to many people, including me and my family. And I hope uh, you get the same thing uh, out of it that, that we did. And this will be uh, uh, section one uh, with uh, Deacon uh, Greg McAvoy Jensen, who is uh, 
staffs the Office of Worship and is also Associate Director of Deacon Formation. Were you a director of deacon formation before you were a deacon? No, no, no. no. That, the order came opposite that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's great. That's great. And, and you know, we're, we're, we're going to do a, a, a series here on the Mass. Um, there, I have to relate. There was, oh, it was probably 30, maybe even 40 years ago. Um, my brothers and sisters, we were all scattered, you know, and grandkids and not my grandkids, but other grandkids. And, and, uh, my dad was in his later years and we had all decided we were going to gather at this little lake up in Idaho, priest lake of all names. And, and, um, we thought it would be really nice to, to go to mass together. And, so we, we, we were all going to be there on a Wednesday, and there was a little t- a little town, like maybe 1,500 people, named Priest River, right near Priest Lake. And I went and knocked on the rectory door, and a priest answered, and I said, you know, we're all from California and various other places, but we're all here together kind of for the last time maybe. We'd really like to come to Mass on Wednesday morning. What time is daily Mass? And he looks at me and he says, what time would you like it to be? <laughs> and, and so there we are. And, and I'm sure he thought, wow, this must be, these, these must be really faithful Catholics here. Uh, <laughs> some were more faithful than others, and as we've seen in large families. And at one point in the Mass, you know, we're so used to when people stand, we stand. When people kneel, we kneel. We, you know, when people start the the Lord's Prayer. Oh, yeah, I know that one. And and at one point in the Mass, he looked at all of us and said, are you going to stand? Like, and we were so embarrassed. Yeah. Like, like, like some of us should have, and we realized for so many years, we were just doing follow the leader instead of knowing it and knowing why. So I'm really, I think this is great because I think there are a lot of Catholics that may be in that boat or yep. newcomers maybe to Mass. Yeah, yeah. Learning the rubrics is beautiful. There's also, I think, something. I think your story is also a testimony of the beauty of our corporate together Uh worship. That this is something that we need each other to do. And when we're all together, it flow. We we act together as one organism. Yeah, and it's beautiful. It's it's interesting because nobody suggested we should all go out to dinner. Mm -hmm. Nobody suggested we should. Everybody suggested we should all go to mass together, which. I, it was very moving to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. What do we mean by a rubric? Well, rubrics are the 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 rules, the pattern, mm-hmm. uh, the 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 guidance that the church gives us for how we carry out a liturgy, how we pray a liturgy, including the mass, but also others. Uh, in the liturgical books, there are a few different kinds. Some are the um, like if you're looking at your own missal or the, the right. worship, uh, whatever worship aid they might have in the parish that talks you through the steps of right. the Mass. So those, those are rubrical instructions there. And in the, the Roman Missal itself, the, the big heavy prayer book that the server holds for the priest, the rubrics uh, there include the general instruction of the Roman Missal, the, uh-huh. the introduction, um, which also gives guidance. It talks actually a couple different times, goes through the Mass in parts to talk about what are the meanings and what are the, what are the options and things like that. And then it goes through it again to talk about what are the different roles that the different people do. 
And so it's a great thing to, to study. Uh, rubrics are, are about the details, but they're also about our practice. So mm-hmm. it, it is a beautiful mm-hmm. thing to study. Looking at the Mass, we, we could, uh, or, or with someone else, you could also go through the Mass about what does everything mean. Mm-hmm. And this, this, uh, this approach of what, are, what do the rubrics say, what are the, uh, what are the actual practices, is, is more about what do we do. So bo- both are important to, to know. But we'll, we'll focus, I think, in this part more on what is it that we do? What does the church ask us to do for the different parts of the Mass? So I don't know if you know the answer to this, but I'll ask it. How far back in time can you go and go to Mass and you would recognize it as a Catholic Mass? All the way to the Last Supper? Uh well, I mean, yeah, you hear the Last Supper story in the Bible, so yeah. that sounds familiar. If you were to read the Emmaus story, uh-huh. right, walking on the road and hearing right. the Lord, uh, you know, uh, un- unravel for them what mm-hmm. what this what the scriptures meant as they led up to right. His Paschal mystery, and then with them He broke the bread. Right. So yeah, there are, there are prototypes that go all the way back. Another way to ask that question would be if we were to go to some of the. Uh, Eastern Eastern Catholic uh-huh. or even Eastern sure. Orthodox churches, and see those Eastern rites, uh, some of which have had very little change since um, for centuries. Right. There, you know, would we recognize that? And there, there are a lot of uh, sort of cultural uh, trappings. And you know, do you have bells on your uh-huh. thurible for incense, right, or do you right. not have bells? And think, you know, things that um, catch your attention when mm-hmm. when you're there. But if you if you you know distill things down, I think you can recognize things going, going had, way back. We've always had music in, in, in Mass. Or or chant, yeah, uh-huh. I think so, because the Psalms uh, for the Jews, now I'm not a church historian, that's that's not my expertise, so some others might know better than me on this, but, but Psalms are meant to be uh, chanted, right, and right. so at least from that we would have right. had uh, chant wow. way back, yeah, yeah. So... Well, I'll yeah. let you lead about yeah. breaking into the Mass. Sounds good. Well, we're doing this. Um, there are a couple reasons I wanted to bring up this topic at this time. We're in the Eucharistic Revival. Right. Uh, we had the right. preparation um, year. We're in the diocesan year. We'll have the parish year. Then we'll have the national stuff uh, after that. So the parish year starting in I June. A wonderful so, initiative. I yeah, really do. Yeah. yeah, the U.S. Bishop started that, and Diocese of Sacramento is participating. So. Right. Uh, that's a wonderful opportunity uh, to focus on the Eucharist, which, of course, the Mass is uh, that is the the focus of sure. of, of the Eucharist. The, the Eucharist source is, and summit. Yes, yes, and well, let's let's talk about that when we uh, as we go to those points as we come into the beginning of the Mass. We'll go sequentially through it, but we can uh, see the Mass as that to which everything in our Christian life has been leading up to for that day or week or whatever. That, that's what everything is driving at. Even if we've had the celebration of other liturgies, other sacraments, even they are leading up to this moment uh, of, of the Mass, of celebrating and becoming uh, and joining together in the Paschal mystery of Jesus Christ and hearing his word. Let me ask you one more definition, because people hear this all the time, and sometimes I think it's such a common word they'd be afraid to ask. Define liturgy. Liturgy literally translated means something like the work of the people. It comes mm-hmm. from a Greek word. And it is, um, so what does a baker do? A baker bakes, bakes a, a, a teacher teaches, a Christian prays. Mm-hmm. And, um, so the, that's the, 
way Monsignor Kidder used to describe it uh-huh. to me. So it's it's the it's the uh, the hallmark that identifies uh, mm-hmm. what what a Christian is. So that, uh, but you're asking me right after Holy Week and, and Easter Sunday. <laughs> yes. So in this time of the liturgical year, I think the emphasis on is on the word work. You know, work. it's the work of the people because mm-hmm. uh, Christians may be also uh, generally, but the ministers in particular are exhausted right, right. now and recovering <laughs> right. from the work of, and we're still of the liturgy. In the Easter so season. We're still really almost in Easter Sunday for this uh, octave. If you mm-hmm. were to be praying the Liturgy of the Hours, uh, for example. Um, it's uh, or the way it's described in in the Roman Missal is it's essentially Easter Sunday basically is continuing for Easter. these first eight days, right. okay. and then the the celebration of Easter itself yes continues all the way through Pentecost. The Pentecost, yeah. yeah, yep, a great celebration. So the birthday of the church. There you go on yeah. Pentecost, right? Yeah. Right. So we have these uh, rubrics, and I mentioned before the general instruction of the Roman Missal. Mm-hmm. That's actually, you, you know, you think of that book that the priest has as, as something that is, uh, you know, a rare rare thing to stumble upon. But the general instruction itself um, is available to everybody mm-hmm. on the web. So if folks want to find that, they could just go to the, the U.S. Bishop's website, usccb.org, right. and then they can click on Prayer and Worship and then click on the Mass, and they'll be able to uh, read through You know, that's a great document. resource for people to know about. Uh, a lot of people know about scd.org, which is Sacramento Catholic Diocese, which is also a great resource. But uh, so many times I go to usccb.org to, to – there's so many different functions and committees yeah. and the Committee on Social Justice and mm-hmm. on the death penalty and on all these things. Uh, and you can find official statements. You can find even which bishops are in charge of what. Um, it's you know, what initiatives there are, and especially with the Eucharistic revival, um, it's just it's it's a great resource. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the days of readings are always there. Yeah, the as readings well. are That's always very there. Helpful. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Yep. The priests of the diocese had a, a training. The priest and the deacons mm-hmm. back in September on the general instruction of the Roman Missal. Mm-hmm. We flew a an expert out, Father Paul Turner, to, to speak with the group. And so uh, part, of what I, uh, part of what inspired this conversation was uh, some of the things that he mm-hmm. shared. And he had an approach to the, the rules, the rubrics, that you know he wants to make sure that he does what it says to do uh-huh. and that he doesn't do what it doesn't <laughs> say to do. And that includes you know, bringing in stuff that's been removed in the current edition you know, that might have been there in prior well, editions. Well, you know, and people, people sometimes get kind of agitated like, oh, why don't we just have a little more freedom of this or that? And pretty soon you don't have a, a, a faith that we can... I mean, as my, my dad told me when I was a little kid, and he proved it to us when we'd go on vacation and we'd go to different places to Mass. He says, Mass is the same everywhere we go. It wasn't just in Davis, that was the way Mass was, and then we go yeah. to somewhere in Boise or somewhere, and it's a completely different deal because yep. there's a reason for these things. Yeah, yeah. And- and there's space in the church for well, there's space in the rubrics for flexibility sure. in, in in specific places, and everybody gets that. So, right. but there's also space in our uh, spiritual lives uh, for things that are much more particular to us that touch our heart more, sure. and that's the 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 huge variety of devotional right. prayer uh, right. that we have. So we, we've we've got a tremendous amount of flexibility and variety um, in our church through that. But there's something about uh, the rights that people have that that liturgy helps to guarantee. Uh, Pope Francis, uh, in his um, recent uh, encyclical, 
encyclical, I can't remember if it's an encyclical or letter, letter on uh, the liturgical formation of the people of mm-hmm. God, Desiderio mm-hmm. Desideravi. Uh, and he wanted all the rubrics to be followed. He says, let us be clear, every aspect of the celebration must be carefully tended to, and every rubric must be observed. Such attention would be enough to prevent robbing the assembly what is owed it, uh, hmm. owed to it, namely the Paschal Mystery celebrated according to the rubrics. So there's something about our, our rights that are protected yeah. when we do that. Because if, if we were to say, well, Bob gets to choose how we're creative with the liturgy, sure. it'll be great as far as you're concerned, but the next person may seem, oh, he's off yeah. the deep end on this direction or that direction. And uh, if we give the other person that freedom, then you may have the same experience. But this is our common liturgy. And it leads to division. Yeah, exactly. Even though everybody liked Bob, you know. (laughs) Right, exactly, exactly. Yep. So uh, one one way to to look at this mass that uh, has again the that's the the summit of all that we've been doing that week up until the time that we come to mass is to see how is the church prepared for that liturgy as as we come in. So um, the altar, for example, there's a special mm-hmm. preparation that's done for the altar. We make sure that there's a cloth on it, right, like mm-hmm. a tablecloth. And, and, but in this case, and, and sometimes there are cloths that might be the color of the season. That doesn't, you right. don't have to do that, but some parishes do that. But the top cloth uh, is always white. The altar is to be covered with at least one mm-hmm. white cloth, the rubrics say. And uh, what I like about that is the connection. I can think of some other things that get covered with a white cloth, right? I'm mm-hmm. thinking here about baptism right. and the baby. Right. I'm thinking about... Uh, the liturgical ministers, their first garment is the the white uh, alb. Uh, Altar servers, bishops, anyone, the alb is what they've got Mm -hmm. on. And then the, um, at our funeral, right, there's a white cloth put on. I just like that what the church dresses us in Mm -hmm. is the same thing that the that the central symbol of Christ in the church, the altar, is right. dressed in also. I love that connection, mm-hmm. that we're, we wear the same uniform, essentially, sure. as Jesus Christ at Mass. That's uh, a little bewildering and, and humbling, but it's beautiful. Uh, the altar uh, should be thought of, I think, too, as uh, uh, the, the central feature in the church. Like one of the reasons that you would build a church is because the Lord's got a table that he wants mm-hmm. to gather people mm-hmm. around. That's that's what the building's for. There, there might be other things in it, but they're not as essential as that as that altar. And when we talk about Eucharist, um, that's where Eucharist takes place. That's where we join that memorial uh, that uh, that brings about that uh, precious connection and and unity with Jesus to and unity with uh, Jesus Christ. Um, there's also a cross. The, the, the rubrics talk about um, having a cross, and uh, there may be one architecturally installed in mm-hmm. the church. Mm-hmm. There may be a processional cross. There usually is right. a, a processional right. usually, cross. Yeah. But once we get into the Mass, the rubrics are, are clear that there's uh, one cross mm-hmm. uh, to be near the altar. In other words, you, you have the altar, which symbolizes Christ. The cross also symbolizes Christ's uh, crucifixion and gift of love of himself, uh, love of uh, of, of us um, through the gift of himself, and the two need to be associated mm-hmm. with some kind of proximity. It's not more specific than that. It can be on the altar. Right. Sometimes you've seen that. But in a church of any size, it needs to be big enough 
to, to be, be seen. Crucifix? And here we're we're specifically talking about a crucifix. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, with the yeah. with the crucified, the form of mm-hmm. Christ on it. So if there is a fixed altar or fixed cross there in the in the room after the procession comes in, then the processional cross, the processional crucifix, would would go away. It would be uh-huh. stored in a dignified place. Right. Um, but out, you know, the idea is that there would be one altar, one cross. That's that's right. the, the uh, to show the connection uh, between the two, and then candles, uh, mm-hmm. candles. As we get them, uh, you can have. Do you know how many candles you can have for the altar? So you can have two, or four, or six. If a bishop is celebrating, then the number should be seven. Oh. Special. Uh, I was going to say time. even numbers, but there went that. There. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so time, you can look up that look that up in the Book of Revelation for. Uh, oh sure. Uh, yeah. Seven lampstands. Oh wow. And. Uh, and the candles for the altar can be—they can all be carried in procession. So if you're mm-hmm. if you've got more altar servers than you know what to do with, then stick candles yeah. in their hands yeah. and, and off they yeah. go down the aisle. You can have a real team there. Um, and the can- and the cross is always uh, between the candles. So mm-hmm. uh, sometimes they don't fit in the aisle, but maybe right. one in front, one in back, so that the cross remains surrounded and honored by uh, the candles. Um, and of course, those candles are uh, are wax candles rather right. than oil candles. Um, the sanctuary lamp can be an oil mm-hmm. lamp. Um, in fact, uh, the the uh, holy oils uh, can even be burnt in it after you know when they're mm-hmm. no longer needed for the prior year. You know all this stuff. You're an expert. So, uh, the other thing that we do in preparation for for mass um, is the is the silence um, in the church, mm-hmm. which is not required. The, um, it's simply listed as praiseworthy, uh, so it's not something that has to be, you know, strictly enforced. And uh, but it is something that it has has an importance um, as 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 what we're uh, coming to do here. I, I remember being with a gathering of Franciscans for a social concerns convocation, and these guys had been apart for, uh, you know, maybe the whole of the last six months or a year, and so it was a family reunion in part. But also you could tell from some of their faces as they approach the liturgy, they, they carry out their apostolate with such uh, intensity mm-hmm. that it was all they could do, it looked like, to just kind of get themselves into the chapel, sit down mm-hmm. here in the five, ten minutes before Mass, and collapse in prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and then others were having you know just quiet, warm right. uh, connection there as well. But to... Uh, I think since what we are doing is coming back from the living of the Christian life and the lay apostolate or whatever apostolate we're doing in the world uh, to to recharge and reconnect, um, and that that's what the the um, the introductory rites are for. They're a, they're a time for coming back together in communion. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they join us in song. You know, there aren't a lot of people probably in your life who you sing with usually no, among your friends, often. right? But yeah. the whole the whole church in all its diversity of, of uh, cl- uh, economic status, of education, of ethnic- ethnicity, of backgrounds mm-hmm. of various sorts coming together to sing, uh, sing in praise of God, um, that, that's a great uniting uh, factor there. So... Yeah. Deacon, we have about four minutes. So All right, we'll, we'll, sounds and, good. And, and um, for those who are enthralled, as I'm sure many of you are, uh, Deacon is going to come back on a, has graciously agreed to come back on a regular basis, and and we're, we're going to cover the, whole, the entirety of the Mass. Sounds good, yeah.
Well, there's some postures um, that might be worth right. pointing out that kind of are relevant throughout. There's the uh, genuflection and bowing mm-hmm. that, that we do. Those are often new to folks who aren't Catholic as they as they join us for the first time. Is, uh, it's you you it's it's in the culture though. People when you say genuflect, they know you mean Catholic. Ah, okay, yeah. right, right, right. Part yeah. of our identity. So that's uh, bending the right knee uh, down to the floor, mm-hmm. and that's uh, so. The the rubrics kind of by default are having us bow before the altar, but it says if the tabernacle is there in the sanctuary, then we genuflect. genuflect. But just at the beginning of Mass at, and at the end. Mm-hmm. The ministers don't genuflect um, apart from that, except for there are three specific times when a priest does as part of uh, you know the Eucharistic prayer and, and receiving communion. Is that a, a, a sign of humility, respect? What, what is the genuflect? Uh, that is um, you know, a sign of uh, reverence, uh, yeah. I would say, to, to uh, the presence to, of Christ. Right. We use it a few other times, right? We, it's uh, uh, at the um, creed mm-hmm. uh, when we have uh, on Christmas, right? It's used, I believe, uh, at the incarnation. It's the right. incarnation's mentioned at Christmas. Right. And then we, I guess we just kneel during the, the passion. It's not a, necessarily a genuflection. Uh, but, um, and then Holy Fri- on Good Friday, we're uh, before the cross. Before the cross. Uh, that yeah. is... Um, another time the genuflection is used. But usually it's when the Eucharist is present. Right, so. right. Yeah. So, and then bowing, um, some folks, uh, you, you may see this, uh, this is something that takes getting used to, mm-hmm. that uh, mm-hmm. at least the ministers would make a bow of the head whenever the name of uh, Jesus right. or the Blessed Virgin Mary I are mentioned. That very young in life. Okay, yeah, okay, that, good, yep. Uh, or, yep. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Yes. Yep. 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 Or when the three divine persons are mentioned together, mm-hmm. um, or if it's, say, you know, St. Joseph's uh, feast um, and his name is mentioned, then the bow for him on that particular day as well. So, March 19th. There you go. Right. Yeah. Yep. Not so long ago. Well, we're right between the two, right? We've we are. St. Joseph the Worker coming up in about three more weeks. That's right. Yeah. Very good. Um, and uh, I guess one other sort of preliminary thing before we, and maybe next time we can get into the introductory rites, um, would be the, the importance of the chair. Right. Uh, the bishop, of course, has a special chair, and that has to do with his particular governance. But there's a parallel, I guess, for um, in the in the parish church there's a chair and that's the presidential chair where the priest you know it's the it's a it's a position even if he's not sitting in it but even standing by it that's his position that shows his um, governance and leadership of the um, of the Eucharistic assembly there um, in in prayer so it's a uh, you know being being there is relevant to to the prayer because it talks about it you know it speaks to his right. particular role his relationship uh, to the community there so it's not just sort of a random place it's not just a a fancy chair to make him look good or uh-huh. show him honor it's it's beyond that it it honors the role and of course the role that he's playing in in the mass would be sure. uh in persona christi, in persona he's, christi. so that's to to honor uh Christ yeah, yeah, who is working all, through the priest it, it, and, and the, the, this is this is so instructive to me, and I know to our listeners is is 
there's a reason for all of this, and and there's a there's a beauty to to having a reason. Say so it wasn't like a group of people just got together and made stuff up right. and said, well, we need to have a a gathering and we need to do some stuff. You know, it's like this. Everything has a has a meaning that that goes right right back to the time of Christ. Yeah, that's true, and that's I think what the Pope was. Uh, largely getting at in mm-hmm. uh, in his letter um, Desiderio Desideravi on f- uh, formation for the liturgy, that we need to uh, be comfortable, we need to be fluent in this symbolic language that we right. use in liturgy, because there's a lot of it, uh, and it's powerful, and it's easy if you um, are used to it to give yourself over to it in prayer. And it's quite helpful um, for the for the formation of Christians uh, as well as for our prayer in the moment. Well, Deacon Greg. Um Time flies when you're having a good time. Um, we look forward to uh, you coming back, uh, and uh, thanks for all you do. And this has been very instructive, and I, I can't wait for the next session. Sounds great. Thank you, Bob. Thanks so much. That's going to do it for us for today. Thanks for listening. God bless. We'll talk with you again soon. Bow down and worship him now. How great.